I remember the age I learned I was scary. Eight. I reached out to hug a teacher and she flinched. Then she remembered who she was and broke herself into a hug that was so brittle, I thought it would cut my skin. This is Kill Moon Paradise, written by James Imes, directed by Harold E. Jones. The play is about four African-American young men whose lives are violently cut short at the hands of law enforcement and as a result of the institutionalized fear and loathing of black men in America. Kill Moon Paradise is a beautiful and smartly written play about the experiences of black men in America, experiences that historically haven't been well represented on stage. We watch the young men try to understand where they are, what has brought them to this place, how they can help one another, and just why they are so fearsome in the minds and hearts of America. One of the sources of inspiration for the play was the murder of Tamir Rice, who was a 12-year-old young man killed in Cleveland. The killing of unarmed African Americans, both male and female, in this country continues at an alarming rate. Bringing awareness to this ongoing tragedy is paramount in moving us forward towards ending the crisis. We see the young men present all of the facets of their humanity. They play, they fight, they forgive, they joke, they bond, and ultimately, they transcend. Brother? What? I'm your brother. Biologically? Spiritually. Hmm. Psychically. That makes sense to me. I thought so too. I think everyone should come see this play because they're going to laugh and you may cry a little, but I think that's okay. I think it's also an opportunity to honor and celebrate um, young black men and uh, those who are living and those who were taken from us too soon. In the most tragic moment, always humor. It's an irony, but there's always humor. And humor has been one of the things that African Americans have relied on to, to overcome. So it's, it's funny, it's moving, it's heartbreaking, but it's life. Good morning, and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was a teaser, really wonderful trailer, um, uh, sort of highlighting shotgun players in association with, association with Lorraine Hansberry Theater's production of James um, Imes' Kill, Move, Paradise, directed by Daryl V. Jones and... Um, yeah, it's currently on stage through um, August 4th, and we are so excited to have in the studio. Um, we have the um, the set designer, Celeste. How do you pronounce your last name, Celeste? Martori. Martori, right. And we have um, we have Daryl V. Jones, the director. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. Good to be with you again. And I think. Yeah, you know, you're a regular. And I think we have um, the 
the uh, playwright, James Imes, in the studio. Is that you, James? I don't recognize the prefix. I'm not sure. No? Is that you, Stephanie? Hmm. I think we Good just have me and Celeste. Oh, no, actually, I have three people. I just don't know who the third person is. It's like, oh, okay. Um, no, Someone's um, ghosting. So anyway, someone's ghosting. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Maybe they'll unmute their phone and tell me who they are. Because um, <laughs> the playwright is going to be joining us. But I just want to congratulate you on a wonderful, a wonderful production. It is just, ah, phenomenal and I and I've had an opportunity to see it twice and oh I don't know I might be able to get myself to come back for a third time so if you maybe could tell us um about uh, this this wonderful collaboration uh Daryl there's our guest again let's see oh no they're gone again um yeah tell us about the collaboration Daryl between the two two theater companies to to produce this work and it's not the first time that a work has been um Stays that shotgun um, by uh, James Imes. They they actually uh, did his white, I believe, last season. That's correct. Um, so yeah, they did white last season, and white was directed by M. Graham Smith, um, and that was a successful production. Um, I had actually identified Kill Move Paradise um, as something that um, I presented to Shotgun. Um, uh, before White, um, but uh, um, as it worked out, um, it wasn't the right time for it, and so um, Patrick uh, eventually uh, read the script, and he was just blown away by it. I, I think Patrick, truly the artistic director of Shotgun Players, is one of those people who um, read the script, and it seared his soul and it immediately sort of made him change his behavior, change the way that he interacts, even in walking down the street and, and passing an African-American young man. But Patrick loved the script. Um, and um, when I became, when I came on board with uh, as acting artistic director for the Lorraine Hansberry Theater Company, um, I thought this is a wonderful time for these two theater companies that have made um, uh, plays that deal with um, our social and political situations, current and social, current social and political situations, they are emphasize diversity and racial and social justice. And I thought this was a wonderful time for these two companies to come together on a project, and so we did. And thus you have mm -hmm. Kill Move Paradise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think the Bay Area has ever experienced a play quite like this one. It's just so, unfortunately, timely. Oh, my gosh. Well, the unfortunate thing is this is not the first play that I have um, directed nor, I, I, it probably won't be the last, I hope to God it's the last, but it's not the first play that I've dealt with that has um, directed that I've dealt, it's not the first play I've directed that's dealt with the unfortunate and the tragic slaying of African Americans at the hands of law enforcement or rogue white vigilante groups. Um, 
And uh, so, yes, it's, it, it's timely now. It was timely in the 1920s and the 30s. And it's time for us to really come to uh, it's, it's The play is a call to arms. I hate saying arms because that's like the wrong word for this. But it's a call to action. Um, and it invites us to stop observing this tragedy and really try to participate actively in resolving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And um, so our third guest has come back into the studio. Is is that you, James? This is me. So sorry about that. Oh, super. Awesome. Because I was looking at the prefix like Philadelphia. Okay, that could be him. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I know, I know you've heard the comments because I see I saw you going in and out, and we're so happy to have you join us to talk about this work. Oh my goodness, wow! I mean, like controversy must be your your um, I guess uh, philosophy in in playwriting because you know white, like oh my goodness, and now kill move paradise and what a title, kill move paradise, the three words all together, like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wanted the, the title of the play to to sound like a video game um, mm. and have that sort of quality of, you know, like Grand Theft Auto. You know, I like playing video games, which is probably a problem, but um, it's a way to relieve stress. And mm-hmm. there's something about the, the way that those games are titled that sort of, you know, make them seem like they're this, like, fun thing, but then, you know, you're confronted with this violence inside of the game. Um, and so I wanted the play to sort of do that, um, to sort of bring people in, like, oh, that's flashy. And then when you get in it, you have to confront the reality of what's inside of the thing that you're playing or the thing that you're consuming. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So we've um, been been talking um, about uh, just sort of the impact of the work. Um, uh, I know probably... Um, uh, well, I know as a, as a person, you know, in the audience, uh, I love theater because I love being present, you know, in 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 the theater because the impact is like, well, the experience is visceral, and and the impact is immediate because these are people, you know, um, on on the stage. They're not. There's no distance between me and them, um, even if I'm not super close to, to the stage, and I happen to have gotten really good seats. I was just two seats from the front of the of the theater, and in this particular play, it's really cool because the audience is a part, is is a character. You know, we're America, and we watch. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was really important to me to, and, th- and I think this is something that I started to play with in white, but it's it's sort of grown to maturity in this production or in this this play is uh, having the audience be implicated in what's happening on stage so that they can't um, leave feeling like the work that they need to do for social justice, for equity, for equality is is done by going and viewing the play. Like, I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I want to go see this play that was topical, and I've done some work, (laughs) when you really haven't done any work. So I want to put the audience in a position of 
feeling like, well, this was a step towards something that is slightly incomplete and I need to find a way to complete it in my life. Um, and so that's my hope is that it causes people to continue to grapple with it even after they leave the theater. Mm-hmm. James yeah. and I have never yeah. met. Good morning, James. Good morning, Carol. Uh, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an undeniable pleasure and uh, or privilege. Not, it's a privilege to direct this play, and uh, so I just wanted you to know that. And um, because it, it, you know what he's saying about the audience being engaged and the way that he's written it, it sort of propels them to not be able to just leave the theater and say, okay, well, um, well, I did my part. I went and saw it. And in af- after each show at Shotgun, after every performance, we have a, an audience conversation. Um, and the woman that's leading these conversations, Kathleen Ridley, who's a well-known uh, Bay Area actor, um, she does a wonderful job of, of pointing out to them that it doesn't stop here. It does not stop here. She, she asks them every night, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do differently? How are you going to make a change? And she points out that even if, if it's something as small as when you see an African-American young man in your neighborhood and you don't know who he is, maybe the first thing you shouldn't do is call the police. But maybe the first thing you should do is go out and introduce yourself um, and say, you know, hi, welcome to the community or whatever. But small little steps like that um, make a difference. And then we also talk about larger steps, like educating people about this, because a lot of African-American history, not, no, I take that back, a lot of American history was altered and swept under the carpet um, in order to clean things up a bit. But I, it's, we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth so that wound can heal. We need to uncover it and let it heal. And it heals through exposing it and then picking action. Mm. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was wanted to, um, uh, to talk a little bit about about all of your directions, I hear Celeste mentioned at opening night that there are a lot of directions around the set and what it looks like. And I presume that in each of the different iterations or different productions, that interpretation varies. And uh, and I'm sure you've seen photographs and things like that of this particular set, which is like, wow, it is amazing. Uh, Celeste really... It's, it's really monumental. And Celeste, I just loved just your talking to me um, opening night about about the give and take between you and, and Daryl around the vision for the setting or the set so that this story can play out. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. And then, James, sure. you could join them and talk about sort of what, why all those directions and what was in your mind. And I know as as an actor – as well as a direct as a playwright, and then Daryl, you're also, you know, a director and an actor, <laughs> and and I don't know, Celeste, if you're also, um, if you are also on stage as well, you know, as designing, you know, 
uh, pieces for stage. But it's interesting, you know, the fluidity between the different roles in theater that at least two of you all have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been on stage in the past. Um, <laughs> I'm a full-time <laughs> designer now. Um, but what what I do remember from being an actor is um, how I felt on stage um, in a set and how I interacted with a set. And so um, when I design for a piece, I'm always I've always have heightened awareness of um, what I'm pushing and what I'm challenging with um, unconventional unconventional ways to design a set. So I think a lot of the commentary or um, and a lot of the issues with what Daryl and I were running into in some earlier designs um, was that there weren't there wasn't a lot of space there wasn't a lot of flat space. Um, and so I think we challenged each other early on um, to be like, well, why do we need flat space? Is it more interesting to have these guys stand um, askew or a little bit um, not sure-footed the entire time? Um, so, yeah, I think pushing those boundaries of like, well, uh, we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to push this, this in a certain way that might be a little bit uncomfortable for people or definitely traditional theater um, is what we were interested in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I will say, though, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a little bit unsure about um, how they're mm-hmm. standing or, like, a little bit unfamiliar with, with this new place that they ended up in. Um, I will say that James actually um, – hi, James. This is the first time I'm speaking to you as well. <laughs> um, yes, James that is also, gorgeous. I just want to say that. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, James pretty much I – love, I love to say this, but James pretty much designed the set. Um <laughs> His stage directions um, for the set were uh, amazing. Um, they're so specific yet open-ended that it could be interpreted in many different ways. So for Daryl and I, um, we latched on to a few motifs throughout the script, um, a couple being um, the history repeating itself. So we've seen over hundreds of years, possibly thousands of year, years, um, the cyclical nature of um, black death as either like tribute, sacrifice, or martyr. Um, so this issue has lived on throughout slave years to current day 2019, um, and we wanted to represent that historically. And so one image that we um, were pursuing was the slave ship. Um, and so through all of these different motifs, we wanted to abstract it. And so what was saved from that motif was the parabolic shape. So I like to call it um, a cross section of a slave ship. Um, and so the the stage ended up in this sort of U shape um, to be really derivative of what um, what a what a slave ship would look like if you cut it in half and broke it open. Um, and then the two other themes which we were exploring was the idea that black lives, black bodies, um, and are treated sort of like uh, disposable. And so we were really interested in the idea of the sewer um, as black lives getting like flushed down the toilet and into this underworld. Um, and so that's how the entrances ended up the way they did. So there are these tubed pipes capped openings through which the actors hurl themselves into. There's also a manhole um, through which light comes up through the floor. We were interested in sort of inverting um, orientation it's like, well, where's up, where's down? I don't know. <laughs> if you were standing underground and looking through a manhole, you would see light. Um, and so we were interested in creating all of these, like, topsy-turvy um, orientations so that when actors were exploring the space and trying to get out, they couldn't understand which way it was up from down or even which way to get out. 
Um, and then the last thing we were exploring was the idea of embedding religion into our set. Um, and so that's where the main hole um, upstage, the big one, we call it the Oculus, came about. Um, because there's a lot of, the, I mean, religion is peppered throughout the entire script. Um, and so I took a lot of inspiration from ancient Roman and Greek architecture. Um, the, Pantheon, the Pantheon, the Parthenon, they all have these um, huge oculi at the top of their structure. And that's made to represent um, a direct line from earth to heaven. Um, and so we put that at the top and we had the youngest actor enter from there and eventually all of the actors escaped from there as their final transformation to the heavens. So we paid homage to thousands of years of architecture, um, architectural representation to sort of allow user um, users, <laughs> allow audience members um, something to, to catch on to from a religious point of view. So you... You gave away a lot of surprises there, but it was good. It was good. We, <laughs> we, 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 uh, uh, the, yeah, the set's amazing. And uh, um, I think Celeste has just, uh, from our early conversation, she just, uh, she dug deep and really got this. And it's so powerful. I'm going to um, out you, Celeste, that there have been a couple of moments when she actually said, what have I done? I've created this set that, en that entraps these young men. They have no escape. And uh, uh, it's so visceral that um, it, was, it, it hits us all, every, every single performance, um, because the set is that. It, it, it's, it's so powerful in just taking it in, just it's looking at it. Yeah, after mm -hmm. the first um, reading and after the first couple of run-throughs, I told Daryl, I was like, I can't, I can't watch this play. I can't come see this play. Because um, the brilliance of James' writing is that the audience feels um, complicit through the whole play. They feel complicit in, mm -hmm. uh, and, and helpless in, in the fact that these black men are stuck in this space. They just don't know what to do. And so for me, um, as, as being a set designer, I felt a heightened level of, not even complicit, I was an active participant in their entrapment because my only involvement in this play was creating a bowl that they could not get out of. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was a really weird experience for me. I was like, oh dear, <laughs> um, what did I do? Yeah, so James, um, maybe uh, if you could tell us about uh, you know, the um, <clears throat> the set that holds these 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 characters, as well as maybe you just talk a little bit about about the characters um, and uh, you know their ages and their experiences, and I I, I really like the um, <clears throat> uh, the character that um, uh, Eddie um, is it Eddie yeah Eddie uh, yes, Ewell, Eddie um, Ewell. Ewell. yeah he yeah he um, uh, he portrays because. He says that he's been there before, and I'm like, and I kept on thinking I misheard him, and so then when I saw it again, I'm like, no, he said it, and I, and so I asked him, um, how is that possible? You only died once, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the space, and then I'll talk a little bit about the characters. Um, I, I, mm -hmm. when I was, I wrote this play really, really quickly. I think I wrote the first draft of it in a week, when I, it, and mm. I had never written anything that quick. Um, and it, I wrote it immediately sort of on the heels of 
um, hearing about Tamir Rice and feeling like feeling angry, but also feeling like really disempowered, like feeling like um, walking down the street, going to the grocery store, sitting in a movie theater, like everything felt um, off balance. And so I was like, well, what does that feel like? What? Is, how do you? Can you? Can you make that emotional feeling physical? Okay, what does that look like? And I kept coming back to this idea of a wave that's sort of frozen, which in a weird way is kind of what America feels like. It feels like this place where you, everything architecturally tells you that you should be able to rise in it. <laughs> and yet <laughs> it, it is so steep, it is so severe that you keep falling back down and into the, the bottom of it. Um, unless you know the trick or you know the key or you have access. Um, and so that's where the, the shape um, came from. And in all productions, there is some variation of like a rise, which I, I, I think, you know, if you have that, that's, that's sort of the heart of the play. Um, and it's different in every space. What I love about this set is, um, is the fact that there are these like places from on high that people can come in from and then there are places down low so there's like a lot of variations so that is like the less that there's not a sense of like this is the way um you have to sort of like exist in the space to try to figure out what is right what is correct which is a lot of what it feels like to be um a person of color um in this country right now um in terms of uh, isa isa is the what jesus is called in the quran um and so he's a little bit of a Masonic figure, this sense of like coming back over and over again, but that every time he comes back, the space is sort of new and foreign. And then what does that happen when, this, you know, that also calls it back to like Greek mythology. You think about like um, Atlas rolling the stone up the hill and then it rolls back down. Uh, you know, it, there's something in that repetitiveness of constantly experiencing something that I felt like was universal to um, black people in America, uh, Latinx folks in America. It's just sort of like you feel like you make some progress, but you find yourself right back at the beginning again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and so why why the um, the various ages and um, and why yeah just um, you've got mm. you know four four. Um, Four, four men, well, three men and one boy, and mm -hmm. it's like, why do you have to put the boy in there? Like, really? I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's already bad, and can it get worse? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, wanted, I mean, you know, this um, violence against black bodies happens no matter your age, mm -hmm. um, no matter your gender. Um, it... it it, it it affects all of us. Um, it's like the the one regret of the play is that there's not a woman in the play. I, I really regret that. Um, and the play sort of moved well past my ability to to change that. Um, and in my other work, I, I try to make sure that I don't make that mistake again. But um, yeah, I wanted them to not all be coming from the same point of view. Um, we have a very young child who seems to be coming from a, a, um, a, a very sort of pleasant, you know, living inside of youth, 
uh, which a lot of young black men don't get to experience. Um, and then you have uh, Issa, who's like older and has like seen a lot and had a lot of experience and, and his repetition in the space extends that experience even into uh, the afterlife. And then you have two sort of uh, sides of, you know, a coin with um, Griff and Daz. Um, and I feel like most playwrights, their voice is in one of the characters and Griff is the closest to the way I think and the way I move through the world and how I react to things. Um, mm. So the, he's there, but then there's also Daz, whose life experience is a little different from mine, but I can find the empathy in that. And, and I think that that is a life that is valuable and worthy of celebration and documentation and um, examination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure... Um, with regards to um the directions but you know there there's um uh there there there's theater with the, I mean there's a story there are stories within the story and and the uh, the actors put on a play for us um mm. and uh you know if they could it would be in blackface um but we get it and um and you know they sing and they mime and um but I think yeah, and then and then there are some really powerful moments, and and they're sort of really well choreographed by uh, Laura Elaine Ellis, um, particularly when uh, the names are I called. Have to step in. I, I have to correct you. The choreography is oh. is co-choreography. It's it's me oh. and Laura, and and I only say oh, that. Oh, sorry. I, it's all right because I'm only saying that because uh, Laura and I have worked together many many times, and. Uh, so mm-hmm. and and we are very we are we love sharing that responsibility and title. So I just wanted to point that mm-hmm. out. No, this is even better because she's not on the air and you are. <laughs> and and in the in the uh, in the scene, you know where uh, and I wish I wish Stephanie had been able to join us because it's so guys the lighting is so beautiful in the work. Oh my goodness, it's like another character, and the water coming pouring you know, sort of representing, you know, the lives and 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 it's sort of re- it's sort of a parallel to the paper coming out of the machine that's with all the names on it and and I don't know if this happens, um, James, in other productions that you've um uh you've learned about or you've experienced, um, but in this particular production, um, Eddie, uh, you all told me who plays Issa again, he said that uh at one of the um talkbacks there was a, a mother and a family there who had lost a loved one to violence, and they added this person's name to the list. So now they mm-hmm. call that name, too, when they read the names. Yeah, every production of this play uh, that I've been um, conscious of, because I think that there's some that I don't know are even happening, um, which is really exciting. Um, I, I, at some point I get an email to say that already we had this name. Um, mm. and of course it's like horrific and awful, but I always say yes, honor the people, um, in, in the community that you live in. You know, I think that's even in the script is, you know, um, if there are people that you want to honor, you should add their names to the list. And that way the play is sort of a way to extend the community out into the community. Um, that's my hope. 
Right. Yeah. So, so Daryl, talk about the choreography and 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 that beautiful um, moment um, that I'm speaking of. I mean, it's horrific and it's also beautiful. Just the way it unfolds, it's really lovely. So, I think you're referring to the naming of the names or the reading of the names mm-hmm. moment when um, mm-hmm. there's a point in the play where um, Issa. Um, reads off the names, uh, a very long list of names of African-American men and women. And there are also some trans people on the list now as well. I don't know if there were originally, but um, he reads Mm -hmm. off this list of names of people whose lives were taken by law enforcement of some kind in this country. Um, um, And... uh, you know, I believe James says in the script, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember this clearly now, but I, I, it's something about it, it, it shouldn't feel like, um, James, can you help me? Cause I do, it, it, it shouldn't yeah. feel too much like a memori- memorial or, or a memorial, right. I believe. And right. uh, am I correct, James? Is that what it says? That I can't is absolutely remember. correct. Yeah, okay. that's absolutely so, correct. So how that hit me was, and, and we did a reading of this last summer, and um, I, during the reading of the names, I just I had the guys sort of take in this, this, the tragedy, and they were just moving through the space and kind of finding rhythms and stuff and beating on their chest. Um, and so that, that led me to sort of take... Um, Oh, and, and Laura, when, when I first met with Laura, we both sat down and we said, you know, this, this should be like a cleansing, a ritualistic mm-hmm. sort of, um, a, a, a based sort of an African ritual of, um, of a cleansing of the spirit or, clen- or, 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 or cleansing of, for the dead, um, an honoring of the dead. So we based the choreography that the two other characters are doing as this river, this river of water that starts as this small little stream, but by the end of the name is is expanded to basically almost cover the entire stage. We wanted it to be rooted in African movement, African tradition, and African ritual. Um, And at the same time, though, we wanted to we didn't want it to become so emotionally intense that we lost focus of the names themselves because they, they, that's the, you know, the, that's the part, the most important part of what's going on. But we wanted to support it with African ritual and um, uh, give the actors a space and movement that. Um, movement that clearly reflected the anguish um, uh, of hearing these names without pulling away from it too much. And at the, so I, I actually, I, I also did the musical direction. And so we started with, you know, we, we had, we have this sort of song or the sung, um, sung almost like, um, work chant um, or field chant in the beginning of the reading of the names. And by the end, 
we return to sort of an African beating, um, almost as if the beating of the heart, it's to remind us of the beating of these hearts. And at the end, these hearts start to slow down. So that rhythm continues to slow down as Issa continues to read names. And then he just ends with the and, 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 as all the hearts have stopped beating. And so that's a little bit of the inspiration and how that, that moment came together for us. Mm-hmm. Well, that was um, <clears throat> uh, Director Daryl V. Jones talking about uh, the wonderful play Kill Move uh, Paradise, which is currently uh, at Shotgun Players and um, through August 4th. You can go see it tonight even. And we are so excited to have Elizabeth Carter on the air. She is director of Citizen and American Lyric, uh, the play. <laughs> it's a part of the <laughs> Champagne Stage Reading Series, also at Shotgun. This is like a shotgun moment here <laughs> on the air. Um, yeah, only Elizabeth is live. And this this wonderful interview that you heard a little bit of was um, broadcast last week. It was live last week. So if you want to catch the rest of the interview, which was about an hour long, um, then you need to go into the archives. It was broadcast live on, hmm, uh, let's see, uh, last Tuesday, uh, the 16th, July 16th. So welcome, Elizabeth. It's been a minute since I've had you on the air. You are such a busy woman, you know, acting and directing, like a lot of directing. Your director hat is like, you know, like you're really wearing it, cocking it to the side and like, all right, here I come. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, good morning, Wanda. Good to talk to you. Good morning. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. I've been um, wearing multiple hats and um, (laughs) kind of expanding my my creative, um, you know, self over the last uh, few years here and a couple of years, and it's been really exciting. It kind of offers a different perspective when you're a director and um, mm-hmm. I had been working with young people for a long time but, um, and I moved kind of into the more uh, professional adult world as opposed to the educational world directing um, I guess now it's been about oh, two and a half years and mm-hmm. um, I'm going full steam ahead so <laughs> yeah yeah really happy you're going full steam ahead it was so great to be sitting in the audience with you um, for the previews for um, Kill Move Paradise. And then, yes. you know, you're giving comments and stuff. It's like, oh, listen to this educated <laughs> voice speak. <laughs> I know it's yeah. kind of funny to be in that position now where, um, you know, people not only, you know, see me as an actor, because I've had about a, you know, 20, 25 year career in the Bay Area as an actor, mm-hmm. um, but to, be interested and, and curious about my response um, and what I see um, in a piece. And so that's very exciting. And it, it offers me um, a new, like I've been, I've been really excited by what I feel like I see in theater right now. And also how mm-hmm. I feel like the, the excitement of being able to see something and have a vision and to be able to articulate that vision 
um, in a different kind of way than you're able to as an actor when you're a piece of the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're helming a vision, um, you have a huge responsibility, but you also have an opportunity to really see things, take them, distill them, hopefully use them, um, and hopefully sort of guide um, guide people to where you want to go. Um, or also just sometimes for me, really, when I'm directing, it's really about opening a door, not necessarily forcing an end point, but opening a possibility for people to understand something in a deeper way and mm-hmm. to feel something and to be moved on the other end. And so that's, you know, or to be changed. I won't say necessarily moved because I think moved, sometimes we feel like that has to be an emotional thing. Someone has mm-hmm. to have had a, you know, a deep, you know, cathartic, you know, experience. Um, and sometimes that depends on the play. But that hopefully someone will somehow be shifted through the course of their experience with that piece of art. Um, and that's sort of my goal is that we change people sort of on a molecular level through what we do. Um, mm-hmm. And then it stays with them in some way. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And the place that, you know, you have um, sort of laid your hands on, so to speak, you know, thinking about sort of that alchemy and, you know, and, and the energy transfer have been been plays that really sort of challenge, um, you know, sort of the dominant discourse and and really lift up the voices that are not, we're not hearing, um, thinking about, you know, in this particular play, you know, Citizen and American Lyric, uh, yeah. you know, by, uh, you know, Claudia Rankine and this, this particular, uh, you know, it's a book as well and she yes. has the American Book Award and but it's also a collection of poems. I mean it's like so poetic yes. and yeah and, and you know the whole idea of citizen. I mean people might not see an American lyric part but you know sort of like wow it's a time in this, this country where like nah you're not a citizen or you are mm-hmm. a citizen and who belongs here and who doesn't belong here and and mm-hmm. where is home? Like, like, well, you need to go back where you came from. And people say, right. "Well, I was born here." <laughs> right? You know, like what? Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's really timely. Um, and what does it mean and, to participate in society as a citizen, too? Like, what does it mean mm-hmm. to be part of society, be a citizen of a society, if you don't get to participate in the same way? And she wrote this pre-Trump election. So right, I'm right. curious what her take would be post-Trump election. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, things have shifted dramatically in the last, you know, five years. So I'd be, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see um, what other things she might, you know, bring to it. Um, and this is not to say that this piece is necessarily a, a, a political discourse, um, it's really, actually, I see it as a very personal, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, a, a mixture of very personal experience with a very um, smart 
and um, uh, interrogation of what the cumulative effect of all of these little injuries um, are to our psyche and what we end up doing, especially to black bodies. Mm-hmm. And right. so at the same time, it's very poetic. It's these, these tiny moments and personal things and small things that happen to people that maybe we brush off or we try to ignore or we are confused by and they, you know, kind of numb us out a little bit or we try to survive. Like, how do we try to survive these things? And then the escalation to um, the black, the, the violence upon the black community. But, but it starts with just little tiny negations of our existence or the othering or the, um, uh, the small, it's really the small infractions that we kind of um, tend to think aren't really as important as mm-hmm. the pieces that we're talking about with police brutality or um, redlining um, or, you know, these things that are sort of like, feel like larger things you can point your finger to and say, yes, this is wrong. But somebody saying you got a job because you're black and they wanted diversity or somebody making a joke about your hair or, um, you know, your skin tone or not wanting to sit next to you on the bus or, um, you know, all these little tiny things, um, your son or daughter getting in trouble at school because they're doing the same thing that another child is doing, but, and, you know, they're getting punished disproportionately. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And the book, you, Becky, you know, the world. Yeah. Exactly. But also, like, for instance, um, uh, going, you know, having a therapist appointment and the therapist right. screaming at you because <laughs> she didn't realize that you were a black woman when you show up, you know, at right. the doorstep. It's like, well. Right. <laughs> Who are you? Like, who are I you? Have an, right. I have an appointment. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. This idea that we don't operate in the same way that the white world operates and that we are somehow dangerous in and of ourselves mm-hmm. yeah. as beings walking on the earth. That there is an inherent mm-hmm. initial um, panic that that people can have. Um, so it's, it's all of it's all of those kinds of things, or you know, calling in for an interview, and then you get you show up at the interview and they don't realize that you're black, mm-hmm. and that surprise and confusion and uh, okay, uh, because you know a black person is supposed to talk a specific way, um, mm-hmm. and then they can tell, and then they're so it's it's all of those things, and I I really think that. Um, the beauty of her work is that she's not just talking to she's talking to us as, as African Americans, Black Americans, but she's also really speaking to what I feel like is her colleagues. Um, 
And the piece is so often I feel like um, we see plays and we see pieces of theater that are like, we're going to talk about this issue and we're going to really, you know, wrestle it. And it's like the worst thing that happens, you know, it's like, uh, you know, we're going to really explore the deep trauma of our, in, in a way that feels like, um, I mean, is wonderful and is important, but in this piece, I think she does a really beautiful job of speaking, and Stephen Sachs, who adapted it, in really speaking to our friends, you know, mm-hmm. to her colleagues, to her, to our peer, our white peers, who, and our and our communities, our larger communities, um, that these things happen, that this is not, um, that, that we can acknowledge um, our existence. So it's, it's not, you know, so much dwelling on something. I mean, there are things that are very difficult in the piece. We do deal with, you know, it, it escalates, let's put it that way. Um, but I think, it's a beautiful way to say to people who feel like they've got it already that mm-hmm. maybe it's no, maybe I'm part of it. And one of the questions mm-hmm. that I keep asking myself and that I want the audience to ask themselves is how am I complicit? Mm. You know, how am I complicit in not looking at myself or not acknowledging or not looking at my behavior and allowing the unconscious bias that runs in our world because we are steeped in it, um, that it's not necessarily blame, but it's how do I become aware? How do I look at myself so that, and how do we as, as black Americans look at ourselves and say, I'm going to speak up. I'm not going to pretend that didn't happen. I'm not going to let myself be stifled and silenced um, with, as she says, um, uh, I was going to take my foot off my throat Mm. and speak. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of times we let a lot of things slide, especially with people that you love and care about and you have relationships Mm -hmm. with that you sort of, I don't really want to go down that path. I don't really want to address this with that person because it feels painful and you might lose that person. You might have a conversation that forces you to decide that that person doesn't really see you. And that's really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah. it's exciting. It's It's, it's full. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is, it is, and um, yeah, it's real, real dense, and uh, in the book, you know, there are these, um, which makes um, her collection novel um, really different is that it's illustrated, there are images um, uh, throughout throughout the work, and I was wondering, um, are you going to have uh, at the stage reading, um, sort of uh, projected images as well? Well, what we've tried to do, because, yes, the, the book is um, ha, is, it, is really at the same time as it's a piece of poetry, it's a piece of discourse, 
it's also mm-hmm. um, a piece of art and yes. like a visual piece of art. And so I, when, when we started talking about it, and one of the beautiful things about Shotgun is that um, in a stage reading, they really try to support as much as they can, um, giving the audience just a little bit more. Um, a little bit more of an idea of what this might look like if it were to be fully staged. And so we are looking at, and in the original adaptation, there are literally, I don't know, maybe 50 images at least, and probably Mm. about 8 to 10 videos. That's a lot. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> it basically has an underlying uh, visual narrative that accompanies the text, and mm-hmm. and a, and and it, it's a, it's like a texture that's added to the script and to the piece that is almost another voice. So when we were looking at it, I said, I don't think we can do this piece without doing some video because mm-hmm. the references for the audience to understand what we're talking about and to feel it in a visceral sort of way, we need to see Serena Williams um, getting, uh, you know, getting a, a, you know, a warning and then getting her point, you know, taken because, of her outburst in 2009 at the world, uh, uh, the, the U S open. And so we really need to see these things. So we remember, we kind of remember that, but when you see it again, you're like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. You know, it really hits you. There are a couple of, and then there's also, an, um, there's a, there are a couple, so they're about, what we decided on, and we'll see because we have our tech rehearsal tomorrow, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that we have about four videos that we're going to use. Um, and then we have a series of images that support the piece as a whole. So we are going to have some projected images um, because there are references to things that if you reference them and the audience has no and doesn't can't automatically pull them up, then the metaphor that is being put out there is really lost. Um, mm-hmm. And then the audience doesn't kind of understand where you're going. So as a director looking at it, the, the beauty of it is that Shotgun already has a set, and the stage is already set up for projection with Kill Move Paradise. So mm-hmm. that's beautiful in and of itself, um, that it makes it a little easier. Um, and but we really have about four hours to figure out how to you know plunk all these things in. And normally, if you're doing a full production, you have at least two days um, mm-hmm. to do that same <laughs> amount of work. So we're ambitious, and um, we're going to go for it. Uh, so I think we have maybe about about right now we have we'll see how many we end up with. We have at least fifteen images that Mm -hmm. we're going to try to put in there. So, um, like, if you reference Millet's The Gleaners, which is a painting, Mm -hmm. half of the 
maybe a third of the audience might understand, might know that. If you see the image, you go, oh, I know that image. But right. if you hear the, the name, the Gleaners by Millet, you're not going to think, I, you're going to have to go and think, what are they talking about? What is that painting? You know, but seeing it, you have an automatic, you know, clarity of, of what she's talking about. Um, so anything that we can actually do, we will do, and anything that we need to support with um, with visuals. But it's exciting because, you know, I can see in a full production how exciting it would be to create this really artistic visual narrative that accompanies mm-hmm. these actors um, and how and I, I myself actually, I, just, I love visual art. I love museums. And um, I actually paint myself. And oh, nice. I just get very excited by, like, the visual stuff. I really, really do. So mm-hmm. um, I think it could just be such a stunning um, voice. Um, like the seventh actor on stage. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about um, um, uh, Claudia Arankine, um is Jamaican, and she grew up uh, in, you know, Kingston and then moved here, uh, I think, to New York. So, so she actually has a perspective on... Mm-hmm. Uh, on whiteness, <laughs> that uh, right. those of us that are in here, you know, in the soup, don't necessarily mm-hmm. know, <laughs> you know, sort of, you know, that we're being cooked, you know, like the poor right. crabs, right, uh, and lobsters right. and things like that. Um, and then, and then the quote, you know, that uh, is so um, prescient and keep on coming back to, you know, Azora Neale Hurston, you know, yes. talks about. Yeah, yeah, sort of what she feels uh, most colored when I'm thrown against a sharp white background, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Really, that's very powerful. Yeah, say more, sorry. Oh, and then Um, I wanted to um, sort of of add to that, you know, um, the whole idea of the John Henry um, phenomenon, you know, like like a a sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and um, this this sort of idea of the stress that we all mm-hmm. carry with us. Yes, I think that it is interesting that she is from Jamaica. Um, I actually had a experience many years ago where I went to Jamaica for a conference of mm-hmm. people of African diaspora. Um, and we spent about five days um, in Runaway Bay, and mm-hmm. it was it was specifically for people of African diaspora doing a, a, a particular kind of work. And it, for many of us, it was the first time that we had ever been in a country that was predominantly black, mm-hmm. African diaspora. So so it was really powerful and. What we ended up finding is that when the group of us who came from the Bay Area, which was about 11 of us, when we got to Miami after spending these five days and doing this really deep work and then then showing up 
um, at the airport, we were so disoriented hmm. and bombarded, partially also with the um, sort of our very uh, cons- our consumer world too, you know, and, and our Americanism, and also being suddenly being back to being a minority. And you could feel the change in energy. And that's not to say that everything in Jamaica is perfect or that there isn't, you know, there aren't issues or you know, problems. Or, but it was noticeable to the point where we almost missed our flight because mm. our brains were trying to process um, the energy. I don't, I don't know exactly another good way to say it, but sort of the distress that we were all having was sort of being um, feeling very othered all of a sudden in a place where we felt very open and very like um, accepted and, or just seen. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, bumping into people and trying to process this energy that felt very much like you don't quite fit here. Um, And we literally, literally almost missed, they were calling us on the thing like, these names and we're like oh my gosh we were going to miss our flight and we made it on but we all realized like it was a really powerful experience that's never forgotten it that um, to be in America as a black person is to constantly have to negotiate a little piece of you know to negotiate something that maybe people in places where you know everyone is a little more homogeneous um, doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't happen, and so it can cause that. So I think her perspective and being able to see that because she's lived in a place that where and grew up in a place where that isn't the case. Um, mm-hmm. To be able to have that perspective is really powerful, and then also to be in you know also to be able to be an academic and to be able mm-hmm. to put language. Um, to those ideas and pull together other ideas, I mean, that is really um, kind of a perfect meeting um, of the minds um, to be able to, like, articulate it in a way, also to, on an academic level, to be able to articulate it, but then to turn around and turn it into art and then to, you know, say these personal things, um, happen. And I, I do believe that actually in the play there is a character that I believe is really really her voice mm-hmm. um, and her perspective and her journey. And um, and I find that actually very moving because I feel like I relate to her. Um, you know, we're probably, she's older than me. But no, well, yes, she's older than me. But um, but I feel like I'm entering into that sort of uh, sort of segment of my life where, you know, I've I've lived a lot, I've accomplished some things, and still um, we're having these you know sort of experiences. Um, and there was something else you wanted me to oh John Henryism, and and so she kind of um, is able to kind of pull in this idea of the John Henryism which is that idea of, like, the stress that we 
actually hold on to in our bodies that actually causes like physical repercussions. Um, and so heart disease, um, blood high, higher blood pressure, um, you know, all of these things that stress um, actually impacts our body with dealing, constantly navigating, really constantly navigating racism. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is very real. And I think that, and and the unfortunate thing is um, many people deal with it in lots of different ways. Some people kind of, you know, numb it out and try to, like, stamp it down and kind of, like, ignore. Some people dive in and become activists, and then they live in a constant state of, like, stress. But that cognitive dissonance that, you know, we all kind of have to operate on top of these, you know, two mindsets of, like, is that racism that's happening to you right now? Is it not? What does what does it mean when it gets to that, it, that I can say, yes, that is? happening to me when I decide it's not, what if it's happening from somebody I care about, but I have to like navigate that. If it's somebody like that's my boss, I have to navigate that, you know, my, you know, advocating for my child, you know, um, or sometimes what ends up happening is something happens to you. And then later on you go back and look at it and you go, Oh, Oh my gosh. I didn't even see that. I didn't even realize that at the time I was thinking it was me. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 frustration and the pain around that, um, you know, revelation. Um, but as in here, she has this beautiful. I'm trying to find the the spot where it exactly is, but where um, two uh, men are in a car and they're talking about a job, yes. getting a new a new um, hiring a new professor, basically, um, and having to hire somebody for a department that they want to hire a person of color and the white uh, actor or uh, person in the scene, you know, it's, you know, it's frustrated with that, that I've limited because there are so many really good writers out there as if you, you couldn't just find a really good person of color, you know, that that somehow is limiting you to something that might be substandard. Mm-hmm. And, the thing is that he's actually having this conversation with a black colleague that is without even realizing that he is saying something that is really offensive and that is also ignoring the fact that you're talking to a black colleague and this might make him feel like you see him as less than. Um, And so it's, and that that colleague has to decide, the black colleague has to decide if he's going to respond or not, and that that creates rage and, you know, and, and a sense inside of wanting to say something, but when you, it's the wanting to say something or wanting to scream and then not doing it and letting the moment pass by. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sort of to keep the peace. Um, but also because what are you, you know, it opens up a whole 
um, can of worms that like how do you deal with that and what are the repercussions of that and so people make those choices all the time mm-hmm. um, we've all made them I've made them um, and so it's exhausting and mm-hmm. I think that that really um, causes that amount of stress that there's constantly this other piece of of your mind and your body that's on like alert, <laughs> you know. Hmm. Uh, and don't have children because I have a son, and you know, <laughs> when he went off, yeah. Elementary oh, school, well, you probably resonated with the one, the scene where the mother is in the subway and her son gets knocked down, and she's yeah. like, oh. like you gotta like a. Like you gotta recognize that you just hurt my son, and you may need to apologize. And she goes and confronts this person, who is like he didn't even recognize he had hit a person, even though he knew he hit something. Yes. Yeah, and then I just love, I love the, I love the images, the imagery of the black men there, sort of holding her, having her back, literally, right? Yes. And that's that like really that's beautiful. a beautiful mm-hmm. moment where I feel like she is saying sometimes we do get it right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get it right and we do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that is like such an amazing, um, an amazing thing. And yeah, I mean, if somebody did that to me, um, I would say. Um, so that's a, you know, that's one of those moments I thought I need to, you know, remember that and, and have that as sort of my my mantra that I, you know, that I'm I'm hoping, you know, somebody will do for me one day and I'm hoping I could do that for someone else someday, mm-hmm. you know, that I can remember that and say, yes, we can as a, as a community stand together. I've I've seen people, you know, uh, do things, say things. I've seen in schools, you know, kids getting different treatment. Um, my son happens to be in a very, uh, a pretty great school um, that where I've been surprised. I've been pleasantly surprised, you know, for <laughs> the opportunity to say, "Wow, they taught you that." Okay, great. Mm. I didn't know they were going to do that. I'm really happy. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I, I feel I feel very lucky in that way. But I'm on alert all the time for the moment when um, somebody is saying he's doing something that he's not supposed to be doing, or he starts. You know, they're seeing him as being more aggressive or more, you know, than than another child who's not black and. And I just mm-hmm. know that it happens, so I'm 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 very much. On, it was one of my greatest fears when I put him into elementary school. So mm-hmm. um, it's beautiful. Yeah, that yeah. moment is beautiful. Yeah. Did you find what you were looking for? Um. Uh. About the John Henryism. Oh, right. No, I didn't. Um, I am. Um, no, I. 
Well, I don't know what you were looking for. Um, I, I well, I know what the John Henry oh, looking for. I, I, uh, <laughs> so today, this this uh, this morning, um, as a as a side note, I have a new mm-hmm. little. My little cousin had a baby yesterday. So congratulations! Um, nice. Yes, we were in the hospital yesterday, and we um, had her other son as our guest. So there's been a lot of excitement around here. We have another. Um, beautiful little brown baby in the world, and I'm mm-hmm. um, very excited about that. So I keep thinking, mm-hmm. like, you know, to keep making the world a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly, um, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking. Um, there's, um, if people are interested, um, uh, the, the uh, Citizen and American Lyric is so beautiful. Um, you can actually... And Goodreads, they have a section of quotes, <laughs> and so I was oh. looking through them, and um, and uh, I really like the um, the analogy, um, the um, uh, the narrator in in the uh, in in the book. Um, she talks about watching Serena Williams without the sound on, you know, like watching the mm. game, and mm. uh, and just watching her sort of navigate these white faces so well, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And uh and then, you know, sort of juxtaposing that with, you know, Trayvon Martin being killed and then while the book is actually um at the publisher, uh, Mike Brown is killed in Ferguson. And um and so one of these quotes is, Yes, and the body has a memory. The physical yeah. carriage hauls more than its weight. The body is the threshold across which each objectionable call passes into consciousness. All the unintimidated, unblinking, and unflappable resilience does not erase the moments lived through, even as we are eternally stupid or everlastingly optimistic, so ready to be inside among a part of the games. Mm. Wow. Right. I mean, that is like, it's so, she's so... Deep. I mean, these things, like, some of the time I, I read a passage and it'd be like, it hit me, and then I'd have to stop mm-hmm. and reread it, and I'd have to stop and reread it, because mm-hmm. the things that she's saying are so complex, and it's so simple at the same time, right? The truth, it, there's, a, there's a simple truth, but there's all of, also the complexity of what she's saying is, like you could write a you could you could write a paper on it. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, I yeah, had my students do that. I've taught her. I've taught Citizen and American Lyric. Yeah, yeah. I think I taught it for two or three semesters. And it's so funny. Like 2017, I was looking at a paper. <laughs> one of, I taught it in, in critical thinking. Yeah, my critical thinking classes. I think I taught it once in my um, uh, my my lit class. But critical thinking, I think, is perfect. Right. Like, you know, right. people who are taking critical thinking do not expect to read a poetry, a collection of poetry. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. what does this mean? <laughs> right. You figure it out. That's, that's your assignment, right? <laughs> right. And that's, that's, I mean, like, what is she saying? And and where mm-hmm. does it, you know, hit you? And, and that's the thing about this piece. That's why it's, like, really actually, you know, when when they sent it to me to look at it, I thought, Okay, can I do this? Like this is mm. some of this is like really 
you know, complex and, and challenging. This is mm-hmm. a challenging piece. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say, oh, it's, you know, easy, it's light. It's like you can digest it really, you know. Some of those mm-hmm. are the things you might wrestle with for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully our job is to make it clear and to make it accessible and to make you sit inside of it. Um, mm-hmm. That's my right. that's my job. Um you know, but yeah. this is like, I mean, she has these images. I'm just looking at the line and make it open it up anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the world is wrong. You can't put the past behind you. It's buried in you. It's turned your flesh mm-hmm. into a cupboard. Nothing, mm-hmm. not everything remembered is useful, but it all comes from the world that is stored in you. Who who did what to whom on which day? Who said what? Um, she, she has these wonderful repetitions. Did that come out of your mouth, my mouth? What? What did you say? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. you know, and, and memory is a tough place. You were there. If it's not the truth, it is also not a lie. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. If it's not, the truth, yeah, it's also not a lie. Because mm-hmm. it's you know so so you can't negate it. What you remember is right. stored inside of you. It's in your body. It's in your flesh. And I think that that is the the, the biggest um, like one of the biggest sort of things that I took away from this. Because there's things that we we objectively know um, or are more like a heady idea. But the idea mm-hmm. that these experiences um, are are you know um, attached to our cell on a cellular level become, you know, part of us and which makes it hard to sometimes hard to look at because it just becomes in, ingrained and it, and it you know, becomes a part of a piece of like who we are and how we're formed. Um, but I think, I think you were asking me earlier about um, the Zora Neale Hurston quote. Um, I feel most colored when thrown against a sharp white background and um, which in the play is accompanied by the beautiful, I'm not sure I'm saying it right, Glenn Ligon, um, mm-hmm. who's the artist who did a series of, of um, pieces with that um, as a print. And oh. um and it's, I think it's in the book as well as one of the one mm-hmm. of the images in the book. And okay. um, so we're using his piece of art um, as one of the projections. And every time I I think of that line in my head, it's like somebody took. And so this is how I have to think about it, right? Because I'm working with actual people, right? I'm not just in the words. I have to be in the words and in the space <laughs> three-dimensionally. Mm-hmm. As a director and, and as a, when you're an actor, how do you bring these things to life and, and um, create something that is as beautiful as what it is and then something else on top of it, right? So um, I think of those words as like, what we sort of do is we take those bodies and we throw them against a wall. We, they're like, they're like splattered. They're like um, a shape, a frozen, you know, they're like, it's, it feels like a splat to me, that line. 
feel mm-hmm. those colors mm-hmm. thrown against sharp white background. It feels like somebody threw me up against a wall and I just splatted against it and I'm stuck mm-hmm. in that Wow. Image. You know, I was just thinking when you said, uh, you know, throwing against the wall, I was just thinking um, about, uh, you know, Toni Morrison, um, uh, the pieces that I am, you know, the new film uh, that's out mm-hmm. that's going to be a part of the, um, uh, the um, what is it, the American, um, what's the series called? American Masters series eventually on PBS, but right now people can see it in the theater. So um, uh, Sonia Sanchez is talking about her friend, um, Toni Morrison, and, and there she's talking about the book, The Bluest Eye, and she says, yeah. and she's showing us her copy of The Bluest Eye. Have you seen the film? Mm-mm. I haven't seen okay. it yet. So, yeah, so um, she, she's showing us her copy of The Bluest Eye, and it's kind of beat up. <laughs> I mean, like, literally. <laughs> and she said, so, you know, she says, um, that's what Morrison does, you know, you... Um, you know, you 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 read the book, and then you know, and then and then you also throw it against the wall, and then you go get it, and, and you right. read it some more, right? <laughs> and that you throw it against the wall, and and yeah, and so I just thought about that when you just said that. It's like some things they they have such a visceral response. You know, your body has such a a physical response to the to the words because they're painful and and you know yeah. they're true and they're in your yeah. body and you just have to like ah you know just get rid of it just throw it and then you go get it cuz mm-hmm. like okay take a breath and then you know you keep going through the story but um yeah just like you said memory is a tough place you were there but then nobody notices only you've known you're not sick not crazy not angry not sad it's just this you're injured yes yes you are. You were injured in your wrist. So I have experiences that um, will never leave me that no one would know were a big deal to, the, to anybody else because mm. they weren't there or, you know, they weren't something you would put on the 5 o'clock news and say, this was a horrible experience for this woman, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned it actually in my director's notes. I, I was doing a show, one of my first professional um shows um in the bay area I was 22 mm-hmm. and um i was doing uh um uh merchant of venice and you know mm-hmm. i was like I'm an and it was set in the 30s and there were a few of us who were playing like butlers and maids so i had this maid costume 1930s made costume and um i was backstage and all of a sudden it hadn't even occurred to me to be honest with you because i was so excited to like you know have this be in this professional company and stuff and i had this little doily they wanted me to wear on my head and i suddenly just panicked and i thought if i just don't wear the doily it will all be okay like hmm. I know I have to wear this costume, but, like, if I don't wear the doily, for some reason I will feel less like a stereotype of a black maid, right? Mm-hmm. And there was another girl who was, white, who was white who was wearing the same costume and everything. It doesn't matter, right? But in my body, all of a sudden, I just started to, like, literally almost have a panic attack. I was like, oh, my God, I'm a maid. Yeah. I am a maid. Like, I look like a maid. 
and I was like, and the the young white actress next to me was like, loved the little toilet. She's like, oh, this is so fun. And I was like, I don't want to wear the toilet. And she was like, oh, funny thing. I was like, I don't want to wear the toilet. I don't, maybe I cannot wear the toilet. I don't know. I just was like freaking out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I go backstage, mm-hmm. and immediately this other actor, white male actor, walks up to me and starts quoting Butterfly McQueen to me. I don't know nothing about but no baby. Oh no. And I almost punched him. I literally felt myself. I was like, I'm gonna knock him out. And I walked I think I said the F word and I walked away from him. And he was confused because he didn't think that was a big deal, right? Hmm. Because he didn't ever have to be put in a place where there is uh, an image or a stereotype that is diminishing, you know, his personhood or made fun of um, or belittled a stereotype in the era of, you know, slavery and racism. I mean, Mm -hmm. all the things, everything was in that moment. And I walked off and had to talk to another black actress who happened to be in the company. And I was like, I just... I'm losing it. I said, this just happened to me. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can't, you know, I didn't know how to process it. And I did that mm-hmm. show for a month. And and oh. I got, you know, I got to a different place in, I mean, the rest, the rest of the company was wonderful. I don't think I talked to him for, I think I avoided that actor because I didn't really even know how to explain to him why, how wrong what he said to me was. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people might not, you know, know that as well, but I didn't think I had the way to articulate it at 22. Mm-hmm. Now I could, I think I could do that. But at 22, when I was just desperate and wanting to start out and wanting to so much to do a good job and, you know, to move my career forward, I didn't know how to say anything. But that will never, never, never leave me. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like a, it feels like a violent act to me as an artist. Um, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with Butterfly McQueen, like the poor woman. She, you know, she did the best she could do under the circumstances. And she mm-hmm. really, you know, she took a lot, you know, mm-hmm. from our community too, you know, for her, for her role. And, um, and she was just trying to survive as an artist. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And very painful, you know, so, um, so those those kinds of things, you know, happen. But but it's that that sits in my bones twenty uh, twenty seven years later. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm older than I. Four years have passed than I was when that happened to me. You know, mm-hmm. and I yeah. still can feel it. So it's those things that you know. And as an actor, you're constantly being asked to like put on other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. It's a whole, you know, it's a whole other thing, and, and what does that mean? And thank goodness things, I think, are slowly, incrementally shifting in our world in theater, and we're starting to see um, more pieces, more representation. Um, one of my actors said um, in this process said to me that this is the first time she'd ever had a black director what? Dealing with this kind of subject matter, mm. and I thought, 
oh, my God. I said, oh, you know, I feel honored. She's like, and it makes a difference. And I was like, of Mm, course it makes a difference. Because, Mm -hmm. and this is the first time you're getting to have this experience. I feel honored to be the person you get to see what it feels like when you don't have to be frustrated. You don't have to, like, navigate why somebody is asking you to do something. You can kind of set that aside and Mm -hmm. be your full self and trust. And she said, I went home from rehearsal and I didn't even have anything to complain about, you know. Mm. Um, (laughs) So I feel very, that was a gift to me, you know. Um, So I feel like we are so... um, lucky and and we have such a responsibility as as black and the black woman director to like create a space where this work can happen um mm-hmm. where we can trust a little bit mhm right yeah and you know coming you know you're you're you know as your as a director you know you've directed for theater first um and and those those productions um uh have have gotten um you know awards you know um and and that's a that particular um company is you know doing some really wonderful things um in that you know yeah. paying artists so that they can survive they can you know live <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. you know you know like they can make a living wage um and have benefits um yeah. and uh and you know you began your directing with bondage by Star Finch and Star Finch yeah. is like a phenomenal playwright. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And True. you know, and, and like I was mentioning, yeah, the Theater First was participants and between us that was like and you got the uh Theater Bay Area the Award for Best Award. Anthology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then every twenty eight hours, you know. Oh, yes, Mm -hmm. and Every 28 Hours, which was also, I mean, that piece was a whirlwind, but really exciting Mm -hmm. because, you know, getting to have 30 actors that you just throw together and try to tell these really rich, you know, dark, you know, just hit it. It was like put your foot on the pedal and go and Mm -hmm. get to say something really important. I mean, I think it's... I feel like all the choices that I've been able to make as a director and then for Colored Girls, which, you know, was yes. a sort of dream come true for me and sort of a full circle for me um, as my own self as an artist. Um, I've, I've gotten to make great, I've, I've had the benefit of being offered really wonderful things to direct, but also, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, the excitement of being able to hopefully say something and I don't know, I think I have this, maybe because I'm also an actor is I have this desire to provide an experience or to help with some healing, some of the trauma that we experience Mm -hmm. um, as, as, you know, as actors of color or, you know, or or just anyone, like anyone dealing with this subject, with the subject matters that I have, you know, chosen to kind of <laughs> dig into, and mm-hmm. uh, just wanting a place where we can use that, not only to give to the audience, I mean, that's, I think that's 
you know, what people think it's about. For me, it's about that, but it's really also about this, like, how do we use this medium not only to heal, to, to heal all of us, like, but also to heal ourselves. Like, we don't have to just sort of be on the um, sacrificial, <laughs> you know, stage. Um, we get to use this to, like, move things in us, to understand things about humanity, um, understand things about ourselves, um, and use theater to do that, to also give that gift to an audience. You know, but we also get to be recipients of the gift, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We're not only in service to, and especially when you're working on this kind of stuff, the emotional labor that you go through in order to like have the experience so that the audience can then receive something and hopefully be touched and, and connect to it is a lot, you know? So there, there has to be something mm-hmm. more, you know? Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, that, that doily just being too much um, and then, and then, you know, compounded with, you know, this actor's words, um, just sort of seal the no doily thing. Um, you know, just sort of like the ancestors, you know, coming mm-hmm. through your bones, right? Like, mm-hmm. You never know. But, you know, you were in one of those characters where there was an ancestor speaking to you. It was like, hold up. No, we're not right. going there, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh-uh, right. not, not right. no. Uh-uh. <laughs> I know you want to work, yeah. baby. However. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I have had the beauty of, like, having a career where I've had enough longevity and I have respect um, within my community is, uh, as I've gotten older, I've been able to have some really great conversations. And one of the things that I, you know, even said to, you know, Shotgun when we were looking at this piece, I was like, you know, let's make sure that we're really engaging with the audience in a way that doesn't just feel like, oh, we're going to tell you these things and you're going to walk away from it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and if, you know, if we were to do this as a full production, you know, it's really how do we make the audience really look at themselves as well? Like that's the point to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can do the education, but if if there isn't a student in the audience then or at least a revelation um, then to me you know it's like it's that idea you know the conversation we're having in theater right now a lot is like who's this play for who is this written mm-hmm. for and when I first read this piece I really felt like it was and more so when you read the play than, I, than reading the book when I read the book mm-hmm. it feels different than reading the play just because the nature of how it's broken up and so when I first read the play I thought well this is definitely written for um, a particular audience Um, and I'm not sure how much of it is written for us and then once we started working I went and read the book and then I came back to the play I said oh but there is there is stuff for us there is it is for us too, and you know, mm-hmm. and I had to like really go back and forth because at first I felt like it wasn't. I felt like it was. This is for us to educate you about microaggressions and for you to understand, like you know, the historical trauma that that you know we accumulate on our 
on our bodies. It is that, and there are moments to say, hey, we're experiencing trauma, you know, and how do we how do we say stop no i you know i see this i'm not crazy you know and and so there is there is the both things do coexist and so that was really um when i realized that i and when i really kind of understood that i felt like okay yes yes we can do this you know um because I don't really, I'm not actually as a director as interested in doing something that doesn't also speak to me as an audience member, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I love a yeah. wide range of theater. Like I will go see Moliere, and I will go, you know, I'll see, I'll see all sorts of stuff. I love to be challenged, and um, and sometimes the more offbeat, the better, um, you know, experimental theater and things like that. Um, so I'm not, I, I, you know, but I always find a way, my way in. But I really don't want to be in a piece that doesn't have an opening for me, and I don't want to, I don't want to produce or direct a piece that doesn't have an opening and a way for me to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. That's important right. to me. Yeah. Because I want all. I want to ask want you. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if you could tell us um, about about you know these wonderful actors that are playing you know Citizen One, Citizen Two, Citizen Three. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the yeah. funny thing is I have, um, I would say, every single person in this cast I have never directed before. Are you um, serious? I, How fun! Am, huh? It's so fun, and at first. I will admit I was, you know, kind of like, I don't know. It's sort of like it's sort of like opening up a present and you don't know what's inside of it. And you're like, mm-hmm. I got a present, but is it going to be a present I can wear? Do I like it? Is it this? You know, so, um, and, and what I'm discovering is, oh, I'm so lucky. I mean, I have such a lovely group of people and group of actors. Um, I, a couple of people I kind of knew about, but I hadn't ever worked with. Um, one person I actually auditioned with um, and read opposite, and it's going to be in Inked Baby. That's um, uh, Kenny. Um, I'm going to take a look at names because otherwise uh, I won't I won't remember. Um, and our our citizen. Um, I'm going to try and find my actual. Um, get everybody's names right. Um, and then we have uh, Kari Moye. Um, he's oh, Kari. Done a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Um, and um, let's see, what's Kenny's last name? So sorry. Um, and then I have Alexandra Boyd. Um, mm-hmm. And I, he's totally new to me. Um, and so that's like a wonderful like surprise. Um, playing mm-hmm. Citizen One, um, and we have um, uh, Maya Ashley, who um, is playing Citizen Number Two. So they're my my African American women, and um, mm-hmm. Maya and I had met years ago, but very briefly. And then I realized that I had done a talk for um, the Kaiser Educational Programs and. 
Um, she also works with them. And so we had met, you know, we had met again there and um, that's been really fun to see her. She's a wonderful physical um, actor. And, um, and then we have uh, Paul Stout, um, who is our, uh, our citizen number six. He's our um, sort of resident white male. Um, and <laughs> I've never worked with him. He's lovely. And also knows, happens to be a big tennis fan. So that's been kind of oh. fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, has some information about tennis that, that, um, that, you know, the rest of us didn't. And then um, Sarah McCarrigan um, is playing our sort of citizen number five, who's our resident white woman. And um, mm-hmm. she's absolutely lovely as well. So um, one of the things that I had, uh, you know, originally um, was kind of working with the idea is I didn't want anyone who was like early, mid-20s. I wanted everyone to be like, to be able to play 30s to 50s. Because mm-hmm. I feel that this piece really, that's who she's speaking to, or is, mm-hmm. you know, speaking is somebody who's not, you know, just out the, you know, gate, you know, figuring out life, but someone who's already been in it for a while and is, mm-hmm. is might be someone that you would run into and, and, and then, you know, sort of similar to a segment of um, the shotgun audience. So these actors are, I'm throwing stuff at them. I threw, we've got this beautiful set that we're working on for Kill Move Paradise. And I have been like, okay, let's go for it. I said, I know it's a reading, which normally, if people don't know this, a stage reading normally has a little bit of blocking movement, a little bit of movement. Blocking is the you know theater term, um, and often has like music stands and people have their scripts and so they might move a little bit but they, you know, primarily stay in the same place and you mostly listen to the words. Um, and there's acting, but it's not like you know a ton of movement. Maybe there's a couple of moments that they decide like this is a really important moment to show you what's happening. Well, shotgun, they love to just mm-hmm. ramp it up a notch because that shotgun. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they find the scripts and the actors have scripts, but you do like much more blocking. So basically there'll be no music stands. They'll be moving through the space, you know, trying mm. to read the script at the same time, pretty much, you know, uh, a lot, you know, changing, you know, like staging almost, you know, a normal, not quite as much as you would have in a full production, but, very physical, um, mm. and then also having some projection and some sound elements, which, you know, usually in a stage reading you might have one sound, you know, piece if it's really crucial to the play, and you might have, you know, a couple of, like, physical moments that you've decided, like, we're going to put that up there. It has to happen so that people understand what's happening. And oftentimes mm-hmm. you have... And, you know, someone to the side giving stage directions. Well, in this piece, there really aren't very many stage directions because everything is, you know, in the words. There aren't, you know, there aren't a ton of of stage directions. We're just doing it. So Mm -hmm. um, I've thrown a lot at them, and they've been just present and ready and taking it in and doing it and 
using the space really beautifully and it's really exciting. And I think I walked out of there on a Tuesday night going, oh, yes, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. We we have mm-hmm. something, so that's what that's what you always get excited about. Because um, you never know. I mean, you you hope everyone hopes and you trust because you've done it long enough. But you you mm-hmm. never know exactly what you're going to get because the beauty of theater is it is collaborative. And if you are a good director, in my opinion, you can't just dictate. You have to work with who you have, and you also have to hear and take in all the other sort of creative magic that other people have to offer. Um, and then that is it's casting, the, you know, getting the right group of people in the room and then trusting that this group of people has m- even more than you could imagine in your own head to offer. You know, mm. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be marvelous. I I love this work, um, and I'm just really excited about seeing how it translates on stage. Um, I don't know Stephen Sachs. Um, do you do you know the person who adapted the? Uh, I don't. Uh, the book no, he does know some other, a few other. He he knows um, uh, a few other uh, folks that are that are shotgun um, people. Okay. And actually, mm-hmm. I had a friend, I don't know if you remember, years ago, Wanda, when mm-hmm. um, I did Lorraine Hansberry, I did Joe Turner's Come and Gone. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I do. Years ago, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, they don't do Joe Turner Come and Gone a lot. That's one that you don't see a whole lot. And, no. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a really beautiful story. Um yeah, I learned some things when I saw it for the first time. I think I saw it at ACT the first time. Um, uh, I think um, I'm trying to think. Uh, some famous famous actors were playing um, was playing the the uh, protagonist. That's why I wanted to see it there. But yeah, yeah, I do remember um, you in that particular character. Mm-hmm, that particular. So play. there was a there was a beautiful there, there was an actor. Um, his name is Bernard Addison. And he's mm-hmm. basically, and he played um, one of the protagonists, uh, uh, Joe Turner, <laughs> the, uh, mm-hmm. the the mysterious man. Um, and you know, we became friends, and we sort of kept in touch. You know, and mm-hmm. he actually worked on this piece in L.A. where oh. uh, it was developed, and um, with the Fountain Theater. And so when I got the script. And they were talking to me about, you know, possibly directing this. I said, mm-hmm. let me, I think Bernard worked on this. Wait a minute, hold on. And I said, let me call him up. <laughs> so I called him up and mm-hmm. he said, okay, what was your experience? How did, you know, how did this play mm-hmm. out? Like, what, what was the audience response? Like, what, you know, and I just, you know, did a little kind of digging. And, and he had done it, like, a few times. They had remounted it a few times and, mm-hmm. and had a mm-hmm. really amazing experience with it. So it was kind of um, fun to, like, have that perspective, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and and hear how they kind of you know worked uh, worked with things. I mean, we will have a talk back on both of the readings. Oh, um, good. With me and um, and one of the shotgun members, the the, the coordinator for this um, uh, this particular reading, um, mm-hmm. and so we'll we'll be there to talk with the audience and see 
you know, what resonated and what conversation mm-hmm. developed out of it. So I'm I'm excited um, to hear, you know, what that you know what that what stirs up and bubbles up from that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's yeah. exciting, and you know, yeah, shotgun loves to talk back. Awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Shotgun does it. Does really like the good, you know, a great talk back. And I just think the pl- the timing and the placement, I'm sure, was all intentional. You know, to have mm-hmm. Kill Move Paradise and Citizen and American Lyric, you know, in repertory, you know, together, um, because you know, to the point of even the set being perfect to be able to project images <laughs> of songs yeah, already doing yeah. that in the other play. Um, right. Just, you know, just sort of the whole idea. And, and then your, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, every 28 um, seconds, 28 minutes, 28 seconds. Uh, what was the hour, name of that particular? Hour, <laughs> hour 28, yeah. And, and, you know, that a black person is killed, um, you know, uh, by the police or just killed. Um, I, I think it's uh, that it's every 28 hours, I believe it's uh, killed in, oh, I'm not sure. I think it might be uh, in a shooting in a, poli- in a police-related circumstance. Mm-hmm. So right. um, mm-hmm. I'm not, not exactly sure, so I'd want to like, be sure on that. But I, I don't think it's mm-hmm. every 28 hours a black person is killed. I think it's... I think it's more okay. slightly more related to that, but I'm not sure. Can't, oh, it's shot, can't not killed necessarily. That okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, no. Yeah. It's yeah. Every it's it's a black person is killed by police. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I just looked it up. Um, and yeah. that's contested. <laughs> but. Yeah. yeah. Now we can yeah. use. I I yeah. I remembered when I was working on it. That was about two years ago. So my brain sort of. Uh, um, it's like I wanted to make sure, um, as being clear. But um yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just thinking, you know, um, you know, sort of thematically, uh, you know, all of this you know, these ideas and themes are sort of like percolating, you know, um, mm. in Berkeley. <laughs> right. You know, right there right. in that fertile spot. Um mm-hmm. and so yeah, people have seen, um, you know, come already having seen uh, Kill Moot Paradise to right. Citizen and American Lyric, or maybe you have people following you because they're your fans, like, oh, Elizabeth <laughs> Carter is directing. I have to see this. Who? I don't know what it's about, but she's directing. I got to be there. So, yeah, those people too, right? Or, oh, Shotgun Players, they're producing it. Oh, yeah, yeah. got to be there. Oh, I just love stage right. readings. I don't know what it's about. Citizen. I think yeah. I'm one of those, but maybe not. I need to be here. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, get that sort of that hodgepodge and that mix in the audience and, you know, like, wow, and they see this work. That sounds like yeah. it's going to just be really riveting and thought-provoking and people are going to go out and, like, buy the book and, and yeah, get together so. with friends and talk about it. Mm, are you all going to have any copies available? That would be really super to have a bookstore oh, no, there selling the book. That, that would be a great idea, actually, because I think I think when you read it, it there's, there's a beauty in, in both pieces and, and artistry mm-hmm. in both. And when I read it, um, I could just hear her voice so clear, just so mm-hmm. clear in my head. Um, and you feel like, her really strongly in the book and and there is a strong there is a, a through line in the play 
but in the book you just really hear um, her voice in, in this sort of monologue sort of way um, mm-hmm. that also really lovely. So I think it'd be really great for people to like have it. I think there is a copy in the lobby right now that people can okay. look at, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they're anticipating on um, on selling it. But that's a great idea. I'll pass that along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then that quote that um, you know the the play was was um, named after it, it comes from Malcolm, Malcolm X Grassroots, um, they um, movement. They there was a study that they um, authored, um, and um, and it, I think it's available some, if people are interested looking it up online to read more about the scholarship around around that particular statement, which is sort of lifted from a longer piece, <laughs> you know, like when they, when right. they get, you know, Malcolm X's, uh, Malcolm X quote by every, by right. um, many means necessary. It's like, well, that was a part of a larger context. A large you just lift it up a little bit. <laughs> just yeah, little, little yeah. tiny chunk of something that mm-hmm. also referencing like a larger concept. Yes. And so sometimes right, those right. things yeah. are distorted um, in that way. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really, really excited. We're gonna where it, where it goes, and and it's you know it is these things are always a bit of an experiment and and mm-hmm. rush, um, and so I just hope that we do it justice. That's my we honor the words and and we mm-hmm. honor the message. We we do we do our job, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, it'd be really cool if uh, Claudia Rankine was. Like sort of in the house, you know, with her hat tipped, you know, over right. her head. So we <laughs> like, and then and then, bam! Here she is on the panel, right? <laughs> right. Oh, that'd be heck of cool. Be is she gonna come through? Is this is that maybe a surprise? I don't or? think. So. Oh, I yeah. don't think reading, but um, I don't know if they <laughs> contacted her. I do know that she did when they did it when they they did it in L.A. I know that she oh, nice. you know signed off on it obviously because I mean if you're adapting mm-hmm. some book, you have to have. You know, um, you have to have permission, but um, oh, I know do you? That oh, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know you had to give permission. Yeah, you can't, you can't just take something okay. work and like and oh, adapt good. it. You have to have to get, yeah, you have to get um, permission to, you know, to work mm-hmm. on it. Um, especially, you know, if you're using their words, it's like copyright, you know. So, so she okay, had to right. say, yep, that's I, I agree, and you know, I'm mm-hmm. okay with it. Just like even with a movie, unless it's something really old that doesn't fall mm-hmm. under copyright then there are things uh-huh. that you can if it's something um you have to like be able to sort of you know option it or um or talk or like even you know yeah there's there's even like Bay Area Children's Theater they take children's books and like will create a theater piece around that and they have to get permission from that author um mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Okay. So, well, yeah, so she's she was on board. So as far as I know, she she's on board with uh with <laughs> so that's that that is great because then you know that if the you know, if the author feels good about it, um then you can you can trust it, you know, because it's their words and if if you know mm-hmm. if they like what you know, what was created then um that just gives it more even more uh, validity, but it's this, and you know that I think that that's such a um, a great idea. I would love to meet her. I would love to meet her. Um, mm-hmm. She sounds like 
she sounds like a really interesting and um, formidable mind. Um, mm-hmm. you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she is brilliant. So um, this has been such a wonderful conversation with you. You have a oh. lot of time. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was wondering, do you? Oh, sorry. Do you want to close with um, maybe another another um, Claudia uh, Rankineism from Citizen? Sure. Um, okay. See if I can find something that I um, I feel like is really um, uh, sort of really jumps out at me. Um, can I? Can I share something so, while you're looking? Yes. Yes. Okay, because I wanted to share this when um, you were talking about, you know, your your 21 or 22 year old self um, and that mm-hmm. that character, um, and uh, and then um, you know, sort of your um, cast members' words. Uh, she writes, um, "Not long ago, you are in a room where someone asked the philosopher Judith Butler, what makes language hurtful." You can feel mm-hmm. everyone lean in. Our very being exposes us to the address of another, she answers. We suffer from the condition of being addressable. Our emotional openness, she adds, is carried on, carried by our addressability. Language navigates this. For as long as for as long oh, for so long you thought the ambition of racist language was to denigrate and erase you as a person. After considering Butler's remarks, you begin to understand yourself as rendered hyper-visible in the Mm -hmm. face of such language acts. Language that feels hurtful is intended to exploit all the ways that you are present. Your alertness, your openness, and your desire to engage actually demand your presence. You're looking up, you're talking back, and as insane as it is, saying please. Standing outside the conference room, unseen by the two men waiting for the others to arrive. You hear one say to the other that being around black people is like watching a foreign film without translation because you will spend the next two hours around the round table that makes conversing easier. You consider waiting a few minutes before entering the room. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and so we're talking stage, right? So that's that's like mm-hmm. a room, you know, the theater, <laughs> right? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, just these, and I, yeah, I just, I think she is uh, really powerful. I found a very, very short little thing that that resonates with me because, um, mm-hmm. um, he says you. You have to learn not to absorb the world. Mm. Sometimes I can hear my own voice saying silently to whomever, you are saying this thing and I am not going to accept it. I refuse to carry what doesn't belong to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, like I refuse Mm -hmm. to carry whatever doesn't belong to me. And I feel like, that is sometimes the thing that we forget to say to ourselves, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and yeah, I feel like through, the, through the, this whole piece, you know, mm-hmm. that echoes through. It's like, you said what? You 
did what? You know, mm-hmm. from your mouth, my mouth, you know. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. Really, really yeah. powerful mm-hmm. image to be able to say that to yourself. Right. Um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah, we have to teach teach that to our children, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Particularly when, you know, because there's so many projections, right? And so the projection right. is covering up your shadow. Mm-hmm. And, and the light is on something that you don't, like, like the light is following. You're trying to step out of this beam that's mm-hmm. like, no, this is not me. You're trying to step out of it, but it's following you. It's like, so... Right. All you all you can is just within yourself, within your person, yeah. not acknowledge it. Like no, yeah, this yeah. yeah, I refuse to carry what doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, your projections are not me. They're not me. I told I told my um I told my son who's a mantra for school or just for life, mm-hmm. you know. And one one piece of it is I know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I know who I am. Yeah. So nobody else gets to decide that. I'm the mm-hmm. only person to decide, you know. Right. Um, and it's really important to me that, you know, that he has his own image of himself. And he knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He knows what who he is. Don't let anybody mm-hmm. tell you who you are. You know who you are. You already know. Mm-hmm. Right? But that projection mm-hmm. will come at you. Don't right. be confused yeah. by it. You know, mm-hmm. and those lights, those lights are bright and they're hot, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And especially if you shine, if you internally shine bright, you mm-hmm. know, they kind of come after you a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, are you um are you still doing acting? And if so, anything coming up that people can I look for you in? Acting. I did. I worked with Berkeley Rep this summer. Um, it's their ground floor um, uh, series, and um, I don't have anything right on the forefront. I have a couple of things that are pending, and, and I'm still teaching at uh, Ruth Asala San Francisco School of the Arts, so mm-hmm. I also work there. And yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I, I anticipate that I will have some stuff um, coming up, but I can't speak on it as. Of yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm at your wonderful Elizabeth Carter Arts dot com website. Um, but I don't see a section that says this is what I'm in now, you know, or calendar. Oh, I have how like, do I find uh, how do I find that? Um, I just this is a very new website, so I don't oh. have a like a real sort of I guess I don't have like a really good like upcoming I'm trying to like figure out how to do that. I'm um uh, thinking about how to create a, a mailing list, but I didn't have a, a uh, I spent, I, I created the website because I realized I have to have a web presence and I'm old enough now mm-hmm. that I'm like learning to <laughs> navigate the, the new normals of, um, of I'm a little, maybe a little late to the game on that one, but um, I have to like put, sort of put that together and kind of keep, you know, updated on that. I do, um, I'm starting also to get like a, a mailing list, like a newsletter, um, like I know some other oh, acts nice. have. So I'm going to kind of uh, work towards that. And um, yeah, just kind of figuring, you know, finding my way to just uh, multiple. I feel like I have so many different hats I wear now um, <laughs> that is exciting. I, I spent a, a week at Director's Lab West 
um, with uh, directors from around the country in May, and it was really exciting to kind of hear what people are doing and and how they're sort of, um, you know, creating work and and there's so many exciting things happening and it's like, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that. So, um, Mm -hmm. let's see how so lovely to talk with you. Nice talking to you too. A suggestion is um, on the bottom of your website where it says "Powered by Squarespace." um, Are all these links, you know? And you're in a lot of these. Like you have Twitter, you have Instagram, probably you have Facebook, you have you might have YouTube, or if you don't, you could have a channel. And then the I. have a link in there, yeah, because I don't, I don't. Really yeah, but I'm much. thinking, yeah, you, you're when we click them, we don't get you, so that might right. be easy to to fix that oh, part, great. and then we can find you because if we go to your Twitter, you'd have I'm in blah blah blah, or I'm doing. Right. You're going to be saying I'm doing right. Citizen and American Lyric. Come see us right. on Monday, right. Tuesday. Yeah, so because that's what I thought. Well, she doesn't have a calendar, but she has something on Facebook. But then I didn't get you. So um, right. I don't know if you have time to do that this weekend, but maybe you might because yeah. today we talked a long time. You might have a minute. I don't know how I'm easy not... it is to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I built my own website, so I think I did okay. But, uh, yes, I would, I definitely need to do that. I need to kind of have a um, – I'm, I'm, I'm navigating those sort of other presences that, uh, um, you know, now now everybody has an Instagram page, that, like, where they talk about their feed and stuff. But, you know, I'm I'm – I, I'm I've mostly had, you know, Facebook for you know, friends and now, you know, people use it for work. So it's so it's so mm-hmm. interesting how everything kind of has shifted. So I'm I'm definitely working on that, that piece of it. But I would love to have yeah. like an updated also just on the website where this is what I'm in right now and here's you know, where you can go and you know, a link to to what I'm working on. Um I will be directing yeah. for theater first. Um, oh, uh, to, um, in the fall for a piece that they're going to work on, and so I don't know if the press release has quite come out yet, but um, look for um, for uh, that to kind of come out, and uh, excited okay. about that. So yeah, there'll be some nice. definitely things uh, things on the horizon. So mm-hmm. um, okay. yeah, so definitely keep keep a tune and. Um, yeah, I um I'm about to go dig in for my tech rehearsal for tomorrow for <laughs> citizen. So right. That's my work yeah. of the work of the day. Mhm. Nice, nice. And we'll um you know, we have to have you on again, um, you know, to talk about you know, what you're gonna be doing uh, at theater first. <laughs> Great. Yes. For sure, for sure. And um, and yeah, mm-hmm. thank you so much for having me, Wanda. You're you're always uh, insightful, and and I loved running into you the other day. So I look forward to seeing you at the reading, and um, and we can chat about the piece after. And since you're so familiar with it, yeah, yeah, this has been really fun. Uh, just sort of revisiting uh, the work because I haven't thought about it in about a year or so because um, I haven't taught it. I didn't teach it last year. And so it's been a couple of years since I, or maybe a year and something, that I thought about it, and uh, and so it was nice, you know, sort of familiarizing myself with the uh, the work again, you know, through the, you know, the lens of of the play, 
and and you know and and talking to you, you know, the director, because you're like right there, like sort of in it, you know, in the art, mm-hmm. in the words, you know, in in the direction with these wonderful vessels that are going to be carrying the spirit of the work. Um, uh, this coming week, Monday, Tuesday, it's going to be so exciting. Oh, my God. When I saw it, when yeah. I looked in the program, like, Citizen and America Lit, like, whoa, they're doing a stage reading. There is a stage reading. Oh, my God. Right. This is going to be right. so fabulous. I didn't know there was one. <laughs> right. right. A lot of people don't know, so that's great. Yeah. I think it's yeah. only been done in and LA, whole, so. you know, Yeah, and the Champagne Stage Reading Series, uh, people go online, um, you know, to shotgun players, you can see that there are some more plays coming up, and there were some more mm-hmm. plays that, you, that people missed. So now that yeah. people will know, oh, there's a series, and they actually give you champagne, and it's like $15 and $5 or 10 or something. It's reasonable. It's like a little it's bit more totally than a movie. Reasonable. If you're, I mean, like, and you get champagne, like, whoa, <laughs> nice. <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, good. It's yeah. good. It's, it's a great opportunity mm-hmm. to see stuff. And to like kind of you know be in in these you know exciting new you know exciting works that you get to really kind of like see a fresh kind of take and and mm-hmm. and it's you know only going to happen a couple of nights so you know go right you know, mm-hmm. fell out so it's definitely worth you know jumping in there mm-hmm. and, and grab. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you take good care and thank you so much again for this wonderful conversation. Yeah. And your great thank, work. Thank you so much, Wanda. You take care and enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thank you. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. So now we're going to rebroadcast an interview with uh, Butterfly Williams and Michael Anza. Um talking about Black Male Alchemy, a program that's happening tomorrow. Um mm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even try to remember the time they're gonna announce it. So let me just play this before we run out of time. It's gonna be really awesome. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, so we should pause, take a breath, and exercise our options because there are many. If we just pause and think about it for a moment. 
And we are so excited to have on the air um, two organizers of an event this weekend, the Alchemy of Black Manhood, hosted by the Urban Healers, uh, again, uh, Saturday, July 27th from 1 to 4 at the Oakland LBGTQ Community Center. And um, so we're happy to have um, Butterfly Williams back to talk about that with Michael Amsa. Um, And, uh, yeah, maybe before I read your bio, you could tell us a little bit about what is the alchemy of black manhood? I like that name because you're an alchemist, right? Butterfly, you talk about that a whole lot. You know, sort of like staring and staring and mixing your poses, right? (laughs) 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 Yes, uh, I am really big um, on on alchemy. Um, A lot of people don't know that alchemy um, uh, is literally, the word is literally Arabic for from the black land. Uh, and the black land that uh, they're talking about is ancient Egypt. So um, alchemy, you know, originally came from ancient Egypt, uh, you know, nor- northern Africa. Uh, so it's, it's indigenous to Africa. Uh, and the, the art and science of transformation is, is something that black folks um, have been practicing for a very, very long time. Uh, so now here we are in the era of Me Too, uh, the women's community has, has made it known that, you know, men need to be uh, uh, better about uh, very serious matters like sexual consent uh, and relationships uh, in general. Um, so uh, the guys at Urban Healers, which is an Oakland-based uh, uh, group that initiates men into healthy masculinity, uh, thought, uh, you know, it's about time for uh, – the same gender-loving uh, black men's community uh, to take a look uh, at this issue uh, and what it means for us. So we've come up with an event called The Alchemy of Manhood, a celebration of healthy masculinity for same gender-loving GBTQ black men. Uh, and as you said, it's going to be happening at the Oakland LGBTQ Community Center this Saturday, July 27th, uh, starting at 1 p.m. Right, right. Yeah. So, Michael, um, you are um, Hello. Uh, MBA, PCC. I don't know what PCC stands for. What is PCC? PCC is a professional certified coach uh, through the International Coaching Federation. And so, yeah, I'm. Uh, what I do every day is really uh, executive coaching in, in companies. Mm-hmm. You help people yeah. sort of realize their their dreams and help them sort of actualize yeah. what they, their potential. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it is like being a, a corporate therapist where you're really focused on helping people, as you said, Wanda, develop, grow, tap into potential. Um, and I work uh, with individuals but also with uh, impact teams um, working on, you know, the system of the team and the, the, the group dynamic of the team. Um because as you know, when people get together, it's uh, sometimes difficult, even really smart people. <laughs> so uh, that's what mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. And and you are also a Ghanaian-American obsessed, those oh, yeah. your words, with themes <laughs> of belonging, narratives of place and identity, exile and homegoing, and with how we yeah. can use our bodies as anchor and compass as well as place of joy. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, you run a boutique organizational development form, firm, and yes. a group 
uh, based in San Francisco, which works, as you mentioned, with companies and organizations globally in the areas of organizational and team effectiveness, learning and development, and executive coaching. And you're writing an autobiographical yeah. memoir with focuses yeah. on growing up same gender loving and African. So people can visit you on yeah. LinkedIn. Your last name is spelled A N S A. And um, and we were talking before we went on the air about the year return. Um, yeah. Uh, that the Ghanaian government is inviting people, Africans in the diaspora, those that have been in the diaspora for centuries, you know, to come back home. And uh, all this year, and particularly around PanaFest, which is going on this month, and they're also, seems like Ghana always has um, festivals going on, there's stuff happening in August, (laughs) and like all all the time, there's great stuff happening, (laughs) as far as celebratory, which is really cool. Yeah, it's a it's yeah. a wonderful initiative by our president and uh, the government of Ghana, and uh, really, you know, I'm no spokesperson for them, but uh, I think this is um, very good for the Ghanaian people as well, um, because growing up, we didn't learn a lot about what happened in the diaspora, and um, actually, personally speaking, even slave trade, it was something that was, you know, a chapter in our high school history books, but we didn't, we weren't immersed in it. And um, I think this is an attempt to reconcile some of that for us to really learn about who's in the diaspora and how we can actually come together as people of African descent. Um, And as well for African-Americans, of course, it's it's going back and um, reconnecting with some of that richness uh, and also their heritage, even if you don't know exactly where your family uh, roots are from. It's, uh, I love being in Africa. I love being African, <laughs> and um, I, I certainly <laughs> think everybody should um, share in that. So uh, very exciting. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance to go, people, please go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Uganda is a really wonderful country, um, and um, I've been there a couple of times. Last year I was there, and I got a chance to um, see a few of the, the uh, I guess, historic sites, you know, um, in, um, in Accra, you know, the Du Bois Center, yeah. and uh, where um, uh, President Nkrumah, um, you know, is mm-hmm. um, is laid to rest. Yeah. That's really awesome. And uh, And then, you know, visiting Kumasi, you know where oh wow the Asante King <laughs> is and um and then going up to Tom, uh Tomali for a little bit you know because there's a lot of great stuff up there in the north and then you did it going, all you know up. to visit the castles <laughs> yeah then yeah um and then after that last year I went I went to Nigeria for the first time <laughs> oh my goodness oh, yeah. wow you've done it yeah it, it was it was busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's a lot, and and yeah, I I love all those places you mentioned. Grew up in Kumasi myself, and um, oh, although you I'm did. not, oh my yeah, God. I grew up in Kumasi and uh, love being there. It's like this quiet-ish uh, uh, place that doesn't change a lot. Where the food is great, mm-hmm. and uh, the people are the markets and the the trade and the artistic communities and the Ashanti people who are 
uh, native to that region are just vibrant and commercial and uh, beautiful. So uh, that's where we grew up. Um, and um, I left, of course, um, in my early 20s, very early 20s, and been here, mm -hmm. um, I think, almost 30 years. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is like definitely <laughs> your home. <laughs> <laughs> A long time. Yeah, so, wow. yeah, the year yeah, of the return. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, I went to visit um, – you know the uh, the slave dungeons, um, uh, you know the the, mm. the ones that are more well known. Um, you know Cape Coast and uh, and Almina uh, mm. slave dungeons, and uh, those yeah. are always you know really really hard things to do um, and recover from. Because you think about our ancestors and and what they suffered. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. And, and and what we did when we visited last year is um, mm -hmm. hmm? sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to mention what we did last year, and we're going to continue talking about the alchemy of manhood, um, <laughs> was to, uh, we were in a poetry exchange, and so we um, we had been sending poems back and forth uh, to West Africa, um, you know, as pen pals, and so we were able oh, to beautiful. meet uh, the poets that we had been communicating with. So it was a real, real nice sort of return mm. in that wow. we were anchored with these words to a person who was sending these words like, you know, uh, like a rope across the waters to us. And so it was really beautiful. And I was really surprised, though, that, um, you know, that slavery and the enslavement of, of African people was just a little chapter, just the way it is here. It was kind of interesting, um, <laughs> you know, that having yeah. the artifacts right there, it would still just be a mm. chapter in a book. And, and people would like say, mm. oh, it didn't really happen. Which is kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Wanda. It's a longer conversation, but yeah, I think as Africans, we were also well, we were colonized first of all, and um, uh, taught to forget about that p part of our past and our people who uh, were sent away. And um, I think it was very institutionalized for the African to forget his past and. Uh, his loved ones who were sent away. And so it's not until recent history that many of us are reclaiming that, even on the continent, right, that this is something that was very real and still impacts us, uh, even those of us who stayed, so, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's that's another show, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad yeah, you were there. Yeah, I definitely um, have to continue the conversation. And Butterfly, it's just so, so cool to have you on again. Um, you know, you're a cultural alchemist who transforms lives through performance arts, psychology research, um, and community activism. And you are the lead singer and lyricist for Olakun a psychedelic power pop band whose debut album, Survival Kit, is available on iTunes, CD Baby, and Spotify. And your band is performing live at the 40th anniversary of the Somars Cultural Center in San Francisco this August. Wow, that is so amazing. That wonderful institution has, is 40 years old this year. That is amazing. Absolutely. It is such They've a beautiful so much to yeah. uh, you know, promote the arts in San Francisco. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. excited about that. Yeah, um, yeah. Is, also, is there a website 
that people could visit to, you know, stay abreast of what, what your band is up to? Sure. Olokun Music, that's O-L-O-K-U-N uh, music.com. Uh, all of our stuff is up there. You can check out videos. Uh, you can get to Spotify. Um, you can uh, read bios. You can learn all about us. <laughs> right, right. You were getting ready to say something. Um, <laughs> uh, just that, um, you know, I, I'm super uh, excited to be doing the, the um, Alchemy of, of Manhood event. Um, I think the conversation mm-hmm. with, with Michael about his Ghanaian heritage is uh, just a really great context um, for this event uh, because mm-hmm. I, I think one of the uh, effects of, um, you know, colonization uh, as African-Americans, you know, have experienced it, um, you know, has been a, a, a drastic re-altering of what we, uh, people of African descent, um, a, a, a drastic altering of how we think about, you know, manhood um, and how mm-hmm. that has been uh, the American experience here, um, I think, has really toughened us. Uh, you know, as men, uh, and I think we're realizing uh, that we need to become more more vulnerable uh, in order to have richer, uh, more fulfilling lives. Uh, we need to be able to, you know, communicate um, about our emotions, uh, you know, more openly. Um, and so it's really interesting, uh, you know, that this event, I think, you know, provides an opportunity uh, on one hand uh, to you know, reclaim our African heritage. Uh, we'll have uh, Blackberry, uh, who's a, a well-known um, singer-songwriter from the community, uh, who was a uh, pioneer in the gay men's music movement. Uh, he also happens to have mm-hmm. a very deep love for African-centered spiritual traditions, uh, and he'll be um, opening the event uh, with the libation, uh, as well as, uh, you know, sharing his wisdom as an elder in the community. Uh, about, you know, um, loving and living uh, and creating uh, in the same gender-loving black male uh, community. Um, There's an interesting blending, I think, of reclaiming African heritage uh, while also uh, coming to terms with what it means to be a man uh, in today's society for same gender-loving black men. So um, I'm really exciting. I'm really excited to be uh, sharing, uh, you know, the work of the band, uh, you know, in the context uh, of all of that. Uh, the band is actually mm-hmm. named after the Orisha of the Ocean Depth. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, we like to uh, sing about the most, you know, compelling, deepest issues, uh, and we hope to make the world a safer place uh, for. Uh, uh, people of all genders and uh, races to, uh, you know, come to terms with, with the deepest issues uh, in our lives. Uh, but the Alchemy of Manhood uh, event this weekend uh, is by about and for uh, same-gender-loving uh, black men. Uh, so we're looking to explore issues of healthy masculinity uh, and using a very creative means uh, primarily music, uh, but, but also, you know, poetry and whatever other creative skills uh, the, the men attending the event have to um, explore uh, issues of communication, uh, consent, uh, connection, uh, all of the things that can help us live more fulfilling lives and 
uh, have, you know, better uh, relationships, uh, you know, as men in, in today's uh, complex uh, social environment. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And and you you have nearly 30 years of cultural organizing experience, including collaborations with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, uh, the Bayview Association for Youth, um, Community Housing Partnership, Communities United Against Violence, West Harlem Environmental Action, Mix New York City, Men of All Colors Together, Outlook Theater, Guy Writers, and the Black Psychology mm. Project. And um, you've been recently, recently featured in the San Francisco Chronicle, and you are one of the core members um, uh, of Urban Healers, as is uh, Michael. And so I was wondering um, if both of you all could reflect a little bit on so what is healthy masculinity? Uh, for me, uh, it has to do with issues of, of communication, uh, of you know, becoming more aware of your emotions and then being able to, uh, you know, express those uh, with people who are, um, you know, meaningful um, to you. Um, and then it also has to do, you know, it, when, it, when it comes to relationships and, and sexuality, um, you know, establishing consent um, for, you know, how you would like to enjoy your, your sensuality, um, you know, with, with other people. Uh, and then finally, um, connection. Um, I think a major challenge for same gender loving black men uh, is, is isolation, uh, you know, being um, separated, um, uh, you know, from other same gender loving uh, uh, black men, uh, but then also, you know, maybe other people in, in, in general, uh, you know, because of, um, you know, because of, of racism, both internalized um, and, and external, um, you know, needing to come to grips with barriers both inside yourself uh, and outside of yourself that may make it difficult um, for same-gender loving black men to, um, you know, reach out um, to, to other people. Um, you know, there are so many challenges that, that come up uh, for same gender loving black men, you know, uh, whether it's coming out or, um, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, religious traditions that may not be, you know, as accepting, uh, you know, of your sexuality um, as you would like, or, you know, dealing with parents, you know, and other uh, relatives, you know, who may not understand you. Uh, those can create, um, uh, you know, insecurities uh, and fears. Uh, that are, are perfectly legitimate, uh, but then also, um, you know, may inhibit us uh, from, you know, uh, uh, communicating with others uh, in the way that we would like to uh, in order to achieve the kind of relationship um, that we would like. Um, so part of what we're hoping to um, accomplish uh, with the event uh, this, this weekend uh, is to create a, a safe, and supportive atmosphere um, for people to, uh, you know, begin relating uh, about these serious issues uh, in a way that is um, uh, creative uh, and deep uh, and, and allows us to begin figuring out, um, you know, uh, good practices uh, for communication uh, and consent and, and connection. Um, uh, but I, you know, but I also want to say is, 
you know, while communication and consent and connection are our touchstones for uh, healthy masculinity, um, <clears throat> I, I think healthy masculinity is, is something that we're all really kind of inventing uh, together. I, I don't think there's any one answer to, you know, what that might be. I, I think mm -hmm. we're going to discover collectively, um, uh, you know, what that means uh, for us. Uh, part of the event, uh, the, the event is going to be offering lots of different things. Um, you know, a dance party, uh, elder wisdom from Blackberry. Um, I'll be facilitating an alchemical art making process uh, where people can, uh, you know, draw or you know, sing or write poetry uh, according to the seven stages of alchemy. Uh, and they'll take uh, that helps them to take seven different uh, looks uh, at whatever particular issue uh, they would like to transform. Um, uh, and then we're closing out with a, uh, a psychedelic funk music set uh, by the wonderful four-man band um, OMB, uh, led by lead singer Blue Buddha. Um, so we're going to be using, you know, creativity to express ourselves um, and discover new things about healthy masculinity. So, you know, the event isn't really about speechifying or, or giving a big lecture uh, about um, healthy masculinity. It's really about sourcing the inner wisdom and selective wisdom uh, of the group there uh, to discover something new for ourselves. Wow, sounds like some fabulous. Um, <laughs> so, Michael, um, your take on uh, yeah. healthy masculinity and um, and um, as um, Butterfly was saying that it's a fluid process, you know, um, with regards yeah. to what it is and what it looks like because, you know, it's both personal and communal, the the interpretation yeah. of this term. But I was wondering about, you know, sort of like growing up and, you know, the men around you and and then yeah. you're deciding to take this and not take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted you to talk well, a little bit about, I, <laughs> about your... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a whole other 30 minutes, but I will try to make this uh, quick. It, it's also um, part of what I'm writing about in my, my uh, autobiography. Mm. Um, one mm. of um, – I would add to Butterfly's um, point around this. Um, for me, healthy masculinity speaks to the very issue of identity as um, mm. black men of other who are um, same gender loving. And – and, and, and defining who we are um, in terms of the masculine, right, or on the spectrum, whatever, the, you know, the spectrum from masculine to, to feminine, if you will. Um, masculine identity has been defined, for me anyway, growing up through a very heterosexist lens, right? So being a man growing up in Africa was really around these very um, – for me, anyway, personally, hypermasculine, hypermasculine, and um, heterosexist notions of what that was, and so for me, uh, without having adequate role models growing up around what it meant to be same gender loving, um, I was lost. And and healthy masculinity for me has been the journey towards um, self love. Um, acceptance and uh, a kind of courage to define for myself uh, what that is 
and to engage with other men in community uh, like myself. And 